You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. So as we gather around God's Word this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 138. And so if you have your Bible uh, device, open it up there to Psalm 138. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the, the seat. I encourage you to grab hold of that and open it up. If you don't have a Bible of your own, take that as a gift. If you know somebody who needs a Bible, take it and give it to them. We would love to put God's Word in as many hands as possible. And so, it's my prayer that as we open up God's Word, that it would actually open up us. And that's part of the blessing of, uh, for someone like me to get up and preach, is this, this Word has been opening up my heart for weeks now. And so now I get to, to share out of the power of the Spirit what God has been, some of what God's been teaching me. And so... Psalm 138, and the subtext there says of David. So it's a psalm of thanksgiving written by David. I'm going to read it together here. I give thanks, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high... He regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we're here, and, and we call it a worship gathering. And, um, but what really brings us here this morning? What, what motives, what desires, what incentives bring each of us here this morning? I think about, uh, like my smartphone has this facial recognition system on it, right? Well, what if we had a worship recognition system that was on the, the entry doors that came through. You come walking through and up on the big screen there, it would show your motives for being here. How about you? I'd be worshiping in the lobby. There's <laughs> lots of big screens back there. But, but what God sees our hearts, right? And each one of us comes here this morning with motives, with primary desires as we worship. And as I look back over my life, and I'm someone who grew up in the church, so over 50 years of coming to public worship gatherings. And if I'm honest, here, here are some of my motives, okay? Not necessarily, kind of chronologically. 
Um, I'm here because my parents made me. Every week, my parents brought me to worship service. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. Um, later on, I wanted a date on Friday night. So, hey, there's girls in the youth group and small group Bible study. Great opportunity to find a date. And actually, my wife and I, our second date was going to a worship gathering together 35 years ago, roughly. <laughs> I was really motivated. Uh, the, <laughs> the woman of my dreams, I, I wasn't going to miss that worship gathering. And um, I'm not ashamed to, she's here with me this morning, so it worked out really well, especially for me. But just that um, other, other motives that I would have, I wanted to connect with somebody, maybe about a job opportunity, about a favor that I needed to ask of them, maybe I wanted to borrow something of theirs, that might have been my primary motive that particular Sunday morning. Um, the list goes on and on. And, and I bet you have some of those same motives. If you think back over your Sunday mornings or your, your public worship motives. And it's good for our hearts to recognize. And you could probably add to that list, couldn't you? And, and so when we get around this morning, Psalm 138 David is going to help us consider what our worship should look like and why. Why worship? And this is a very important question because every single day of our lives, not just on a Sunday morning, but every single day of our lives, we worship, don't we? We get out of bed for some reason. And what we give worth to is what we value most. God has designed us to, to give value to things. He's designed us to worship. Ultimately, it's to worship Him. But we exchange that very easily, don't we? And we live in a world that's broken, right? We get messages day in and day out inviting us in to worship other things. You know, why do you suppose a country like America spends billions of dollars on marketing? Right? They're, they're enticing us. They're inviting us to, to give value to things. News stories, political views, all those things um, invite us to give value to things. And many of them don't have any transient value, do they? And so we, gotta, we get to consider what David calls us to in this particular psalm. He calls us to worship boldly, to worship humbly, because God works supremely. And let's start with worshiping boldly. In the first three verses here, David lays it, I summarize it this way. We worship God boldly when we believe that God is supreme above all God's when we are deeply grateful for his love and his faithfulness, and when we know when we pray, God answers by giving us strength in the depths of our soul. Look at verses 1 and 2 here with me. Listen to what David says. 
I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name. For what? For your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Look at how David and what David gives thanks for in these two verses. He gives thanks with all his heart. Even in the midst of or as a witness against the powerlessness of gods. Before the gods. Translators or commentators land in different spots here. Before heavenly beings. Before the gods. It was really helpful for me to think about just my own heart's ability, uh, as John Calvin talks about, to be an idol-making factory. And so it really helps me to think about, I constantly have these gods looking for my affection. And so, do I go to the one true God? And David wants us to praise and thanks be to God alone, not the gods of this world. And he gives thanks because he's experienced personally the Lord's steadfast love and his faithfulness to his word and to his name. And as I meditated over these verses, I had to confess my own half-hearted worship. It's far too prevalent in my life to seek satisfaction in worthless things, whether it's man's approval, whether it's possession, whether it's success in my own work. So many things that I chase after that, that cause me to be torn away from the one true God. And I pursue these other things as, as my God, as my Savior, as a replacement. And it's interesting because even in my own life, I know when it's a God, when I get frustrated when I look at somebody else's life and see how they're chasing after something and I feel this frustration or anger or judgment towards them, it's because God is pointing out the same sin in my own life. And so we need God's Spirit to continually expose those areas in our hearts that aren't submitted to the Lord. He leads us into godly repentance that produces a wholehearted thankfulness and praise for Jesus and what He's done for us. And it's only because of Jesus and what he's done that we can actually pour out praise to him. That the Father did not spare. The Father wholeheartedly sent his Son. And he will wholeheartedly give us all things. So why wouldn't we return wholehearted praise and worship to a wholehearted Father who's given us all things in his Son? May we quickly recognize and repent anything less than what he deserves in worship of our lives. May the onlooking world see and hear our lives boldly singing to God with everything that we are and everything that we have. Can you relate to any of these struggles in your own life to give the Lord wholehearted worship? What entices you? What draws you in? 
Where do you struggle to give praise to Jesus in your own life? David goes on to say that he bows down towards the Lord's holy temple. What does that mean? Think of the Old Testament. The idea here is that he worships facing the Jerusalem temple. Or if he's in the temple, that he's facing the most holy place. Because this is where the presence and the name of God dwelled on earth. And, and we get an incredible Old Testament example of this bowing down. Bold worship in Daniel. Daniel 6. I don't know if you know the story, but there's, Daniel is amongst these high-ranking officials that have a close relationship with the king. And these high-ranking officials are jealous of Daniel. They want to figure out a way to destroy him. And so what do they do? They decide to exploit his bold worship of the one true God. And they go to the king. And they sneakily have the king pass into law that only their false gods and only the king, men, <laughs> man, can be worshipped. And they put that into law. Punishable by death. So what does Daniel do? He doesn't change a thing. He continues to boldly worship the Lord. In verse 10, when he knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had the windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem and the temple. Listen to the echo in Psalm 138. He bowed down three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had previously done. So the face of death did not stop his worship. And we, if, if you've been around Sunday school or the church much, you know what happens next, don't you? Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel is boldly worshiping God no matter what, and the Lord shuts the lion's mouths, right? Daniel survives, gets pulled out. The officials that pass this law get thrown in, immediately get eaten. And so... What a great picture of bold worship, isn't it? As we gather this morning, we're here to worship boldly the one true God. And we're following in the wake of men like David and Daniel. And this is the picture that David is putting before us as worshipers. Trust the steadfast love and faithfulness of the promise-keeping God. Daniel's God. David's God. Open-windowed, pointing toward the temple posturing our hearts towards the presence of the Most High God who reigns as a King of glory. This morning, ask yourself, what inhibits bold worship in your life? And I'm not just talking about on a Sunday morning like this where we gather together and we sing songs. And, and I don't know about you, but it can be a struggle sometimes. Am I singing too loud? Should I raise my hand at this part? I get thinking about myself instead of actually thinking about the God that I'm singing to. <clears throat> but think about something like 
What stops your prayer life in its tracks? Because prayer is actually a form of worship, isn't it? God is glorified through our prayers because prayer is declaring our dependence on Him as God. As a 21st century American, what gods show up on a regular basis to plead for your allegiance, to steal your affections and attention away from God? What do you proclaim to be worthy through your time, through your finances, through your energy that you are devoted to? What situations silence your witness to the gospel? Being willing to have courage in the face of the world's ideas, in the face of views that oppose our God. We're invited by David to bow our hearts to the Lord each and every day, to give thanks to his great name. Jesus' name is the name above every single name. He is the Lord, and no temple anymore can contain his steadfast love and his faithfulness. We are the living temple that gathers here this morning. But when we're done, we will scatter into the world to boldly declare the name of Jesus. That is our calling. We're the called out people of God. And we need to continue to grow in the boldness of that worship, the thankfulness of that, especially in the midst of difficult circumstances, right? As we walk through a pandemic together, what did our worship look like in that? I don't know about you, but I really found out how much I worship comfort. And much of my complaining surrounded that having to wear a mask, or all those things that just poked at me. Instead of giving thankfulness to God, Acts 17 says that in God we have life and breath and everything. I could have started by thanking God for my breath. COVID-19 attacks our breath, right? So if you're here breathing, it's because God has given you breath. And you can be thankful for that. Invite the Spirit to expose and remove those things from your life that interfere and have taken the place of Christ's name, of Christ's word. We need to repent of our love for the approval of man, our fear of man, and our unwillingness to confess our sin to one another. We're afraid of what people are going to think of us. Don't worry, the cross is already tattled on you. You can confess your sin freely. Or maybe it's, it's the fear of man expressed in your lack of gospel passion. The willingness to love the lost and the lonely. Our lack of steadfast love for, for our spouse or our children or our friends, or our co-workers, how quickly we write people off, whether it's through our anger or through distancing ourselves. That's my favorite passive-aggressive response. 
thanks be to the Lord's name, whose love and faithfulness has forever approved his followers and cleanses us from all our sin, loves us with a steadfast love, an eternal love that overflows towards all others. Great is his name, his word, his faithfulness, and his love. That's just the first two verses. Look at verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. What a great verse. Don't miss it. We hear David declaring that he prays to the Lord and the Lord answers him. How? By strengthening his soul. Is there any deeper strength that we can receive than to have our soul strengthened? Another way that might be translated is the Lord answered and made him bold and courageous from the heart. Which in a sense feeds his bold worship because he's going to the Lord as his source of strength to fuel that worship. Don't miss this. Prayer is a gift. Prayer is a work that is infused with amazing promises. What a gift that the Lord listens to us, right? And then he gives us strength. How many days do you think that you're strong? I got this. You're self-sufficient. And are prayerless as a result. Or maybe you use prayer as a last resort. That's another evidence that we need God, that we are totally dependent on God. Because we're ten, our ten, natural tendency is to rely on ourselves, isn't it? Or to look to something else besides God. And Jesus is the only sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. Our flesh and our heart may fail. But he is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. And the Lord empathizes with our human frailty and weakness. Christ is our perfect example of reliance on the Spirit's soul-strengthening power and sufficiency through his own life of prayer. And his bold obedience all the way to his dying last breath on the cross. All the way to the cross and his death, he declared his allegiance to his Father. And out of Christ's finished work on our behalf, even our weaknesses and afflictions become avenues of bold worship. Think about that. Your own weaknesses, your own afflictions become a testimony to how strong God is and how amazing he is. Because Christ turns them into this fuel for gospel strength. Listen to Paul's soul-strengthening prayer life. In 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would leave me. He's talking about the thorn in his flesh. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is is made perfect in weakness. And here's Paul's response. Therefore I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, 
persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Boldness in our weakness is always connected to humble worship. As David shows us in verses 4 through 6, worship humbly. Worship humbly. If we are humble, then we will respond in worship to the supremacy of the Lord because we believe his word and we trust his ways in the past, present, and will experience forever. Our God dependence is manifested in thankful living and singing as the appropriate response to God's nearness to us. Look at verses 4 and 5. David writes, All the kings of the earth, (laughs) all the kings of the earth, you take the highest, most powerful people, shall give thanks, O Lord, for they, and here's why they're going to do it, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. David prays here that all the kings of the earth worship the Lord. He has a confidence that even the kings will worship God once they've heard the truth about God. All these kings will sing about the ways of the Lord because the the glory of the Lord is great. And, And David may be pointing to a time when they will humbly acknowledge the supremacy of the ultimate king, King Jesus. And although the glory of God is great and he is Lord most high, he regards the humble, the lowly. In verse 6, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. But the haughty he knows from afar. The Lord draws close to the humble in their brokenness. And he's distant to the proud. What a mercy to us this morning, isn't it? Because every single day of our lives is a war between our humility and our pride, right? Every day, we make decision after decision after decision about whose kingdom we're going to serve, don't we? Are we going to serve the kingdom of God and His ways? Are we going to serve our own kingdom? Are we going to pursue our own ways? And Jesus has stepped right into the middle of that. And reminded us that there is no greater glory than his. That he is the Lord on high, who is only close to the humble. David is giving us a great picture of Christ's supremacy and his transcendence. The Lord is great enough for the kings of the earth and intimately close to the lowly and the humble. Jesus is not only the most powerful king, the Revelation 19 king that's going to come riding on a white horse 
with fire, with an army of heavenly hosts, and destroy every single enemy with his words. Faithful and true on his thigh. He's a powerful king. But he's also a gentle shepherd. That Psalm 23 shepherd who is with us, who carries us, who's gentle with us, and keeps us close to his own heart. The Lord is high, David says. What does that mean? I just, I just meditated on it a little bit, thinking about the Lord is high. He's supreme. He's transcendent. Let me share with you a few verses from Hebrews and Isaiah. Hebrews 1.3. He, the Lord, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We sang about that this morning. Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by what? The word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Then Isaiah. <laughs> Isaiah 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Think of that. Do you know what a span is? Right here. About nine inches. God holds the entire universe in the span of his hand. Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and hills in a balance. It, you know, in my creative imagination, it's like, oh, I wonder how much Mount Everest weighs. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Pike's Peak, boom. You know, God, that's our God. That's the picture we're to get. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants, that's, that's you and I, are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Who created the stars and the planets? Who brings them out? Who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. I don't know about you, but I find looking at the night sky an incredible opportunity to worship the Lord as most high. And that's just one aspect of creation, isn't it? But I think about it, the times that, that we've been in Big Sky, Montana. I've been in Ontario, Canada, seeing the northern lights, sitting around a campfire, and the, 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 the embers are really low, and we just look out at the stars, shooting star after shooting star. Or even in my own backyard, we live on a, a small acreage. I can walk out at night, 
and look up and see the scars, the stars. And in a video I've watched recently produced by the John 1010 Project, it's called Fingerprints and Galaxies. I'm going to try and illustrate this for you, but it's a, it's a short video. And basically, if you were to go outside and to hold your finger up to the night sky, okay, so the part that it covers is 100 and 1 240,000th of the entire night sky, okay? So it'd take 240,000 of your fingerprints to cover just the night sky that you can see. And what they did is they took the Hubble telescope and over 60 years they took 7,500 pictures into that fingerprint. Guess how many galaxies they discovered? 250,000. Now, I, I'm not a math guy, okay? But 240,000 times 250,000 is a reflection of the Lord who holds all of that in the span of his hand. Yet he regards us. The Lord is on high. But when we humble ourselves, he draws close to us. If we're prideful, that God is distant from us and opposes us. I wouldn't be messing with that God. I would want him close. And we get to do that by worshiping him, giving him value. And that's what we do this morning. We need to be reminded that the Lord is high. The Most High God, above all rulers, above all kings of the earth, all authorities in the spiritual realms, regards us little grasshopper-like people. And His words are right, and they're true, and they're just, and worthy of our greatest thanks, because His, his glory is great. And so we gather to confess that we pridefully ignore his word. That we pridefully ignore the Holy Spirit's promptings in our lives every single day. As we pursue our sinful ways, acting like our own king, like our own God. And we gather to humble our hearts and to go into the world as witnesses of his words, singing of his ways, believing with David about the kings of the earth, that people will be encouraged towards Jesus through our humble devotion to him, through us speaking his words, for us living lives that point to Jesus. That's how powerful Jesus is. How much more when we gather to worship his greatness and his eternal joys, just to come into his presence, thankfully singing and remembering Jesus and his finished work for us, his death and resurrection, remembering Jesus as the Savior, as the King of Kings. We join the Revelation 4 choir before the Lamb, worshiping Jesus as holy, holy, holy. Jesus is worthy. Worthy, 
worthy. Our, our lives, our songs of praise for all that Jesus is and all that he's done for us forever and ever. And so we get to worship him because his word says he is supreme. And his ways say that he is king. Not only David's king in the past, but our king today and forever. We join David in believing because we've seen God work. In humility, then we respond and worship to the supremacy of the Lord because we believe his word and we trust his ways in the past, present, and we're going to experience it forever. What a gift. And that brings us to our last point in verses 7 and 8. God works supremely. We worship boldly, we worship humbly because God works supremely. God works to preserve us in distress, protects and delivers us from enemies, and our worship displays faith that God works in us, even in our present troubles, and that his work will be completed for all eternity. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. Listen to what David writes here. And if you know anything about David, just let the pictures of his life from Scripture come into your mind. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. I love this verse. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Don't miss how David is concluding this psalm of thanksgiving. With great encouragement as to why we worship the Lord. He's describing his life in the midst of his trouble. The threat of enemies pointing to his total dependence on the Lord to preserve his life, to protect him, to deliver him. He's wholeheartedly worshiping God for the ways that he's worked in the past and declaring that he trusts God to do this for his future. What a great confidence David has in the Lord, doesn't he? having experienced the Lord's merciful preservation of his life over and over and over again. Friends, the same is true for us today. Absolutely true. No matter how close trouble is to you right now, no matter what distress you're experiencing, big or small, the same is true. The Lord is closer and the Lord is greater. And he will deliver. No matter how bad your circumstances seem, no matter how big your enemies seem, the Lord is stronger than any of them. Consider the season in David's life when, when King Saul has it out for him. That was multiple seasons, actually. But he wanted him dead. 
and was actively pursuing that purpose. He was hunting David down. And, and you have King Saul and his massive army of thousands of men chasing David around the wilderness. And, and the, it was nothing for the Lord to protect David and his little ragtag group of men. And, and David and his men at one point are hiding from King Saul in a cave. And <laughs> I find humor in this. Um, and Saul is needing to take advantage of a wilderness rest stop. Uh, it's a wild goat cave or something like that. I can't remember the exact name in scripture. Um, and he thought it was private. But actually, um, he goes into the cave that David and his men are in. In scripture, the ESV says, to relieve himself. And I'll pick up the story here in 1 Samuel 24, verse 4. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as you, it seemed good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put up my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words not to permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. <laughs> so David knows firsthand how powerful the Lord is to preserve his life doesn't he? Who else could orchestrate something as crazy as that? And deliver him out of the worst of circumstances. And our sovereign God's plans for your life, for my life, they cannot be stopped. And they are good plans. And he works for his purposes in us to be ultimately fulfilled. Our confidence like David is evidenced in bold and humble worship to the Lord's sovereign, steadfast, and eternal love. And he's praying for the Lord's work to be done in and through him, isn't he? Do not forsake the work of your hands. Listen to how Paul teaches us to boldly believe which leads us to join in the Lord in his work for his good purposes to be fulfilled. Because we're not just passive agents in this. We actively participate in the Lord's work. It's a mystery. But listen to, I love this verse, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Paul writes this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We get to abound in God's work, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What an amazing thing that the Lord uses our efforts to fulfill his purposes for us. And it's out of his eternal steadfast love, David says. David says, 
And it's evidence because we have a Savior. We have a King Jesus. And what did he do to participate in the work? He left heaven, didn't he? And what did he enter into that David's writing about? He entered into the trouble of this world, didn't he? Our trouble. The brokenness of our sin. The brokenness of this world. The enemy, Satan. By his sacrificial death in our place, our lives are now preserved forever. Hidden in Jesus with God. And just as David writes and worships the Lord for stretching out his hand against the wrath of his enemy, Jesus stretched out both his hands, didn't he? To turn back the wrath of the Father against our sin. To deliver us. To pay the debt of our sin. And with his own blood, he turned back the enemy of sin, Satan, and death. And his sinless life made complete payment for the debt that we owe. And he delivers our lives once and for all, eternity from trouble. Our soul's enemies. Because Jesus has accomplished this great salvation, we can walk by faith through any momentary trouble in this life. No matter what's going on in your life today, friends, Jesus has already accomplished the work. You will be delivered. If not today, one day. And that's such good news. Because Jesus has accomplished this. Our life is now in Jesus' hand. And as John 10 says, Jesus is in the Father's hand. And no one can snatch us out. And so the Lord's purpose will be fulfilled. You can be confident in that. Because Jesus in his great work is deliverer, protector, and fulfiller of every promise made to David and made to us, is guaranteed to be finished forever. And we get to worship it with boldness. Greater than anything else this world has ever known. And a humility, because our ability to even worship Jesus comes from Jesus alone. It's a gift. And so may we recognize and believe these truths each and every day and make them the motive of our lives until our last breath. Let's pray together. Father, we thank and praise you for this word. And we declare with David that it is a great word. And we declare that it is true. And we ask, Spirit, that you help us to boldly live it out in this world. In light of all creation, may our lives manifest a joy, an affection, pointing others that they too would believe your words, that they would believe you, Jesus and join in that worship. 
experiencing the incredible confidence and peace and joy of knowing, Lord, you will fulfill the purpose of our lives. You will not forsake the work of your hands. Because you, Father, did not spare your own son, but you graciously gave him up for us. How much more will you give us all things? How much more since you have promised that you have begun this good work in us and you will bring it to completion in the day that we stand before Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. We thank and praise you for that, Jesus. Amen.